Queen fans. Man, that Randy guy is driving me nuts. Welcome to Seaside Pod Review, a podcast about the music of Queen. I'm Kevin, and that holzer who talks funny is Randy. And once a week, we gather electronically to discuss a random song from one of the most diverse, eclectic bands in rock and roll history. Brand new angle, Well, maybe. How are you doing tonight, Kevin? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. I bowled tonight because I'm that age now where I'm on a fucking bowling team during the week. As long as you don't walk around saying that bowling is cool, I'll accept <laughs> your bowling nerdness, okay? All right. Do you want to know our team name? I do. We are the Chronic Master Bowlers. <laughs> and we have shirts with that written on it. <laughs> uh, that's actually not too bad. I that's like great. that. Yeah, no, it's a good time. It's still like just all, but yeah, I mean, as you would expect, it's people my age and older. Like, we're actually probably one of the youngest teams there. Um, and it's a bunch <laughs> of my brother in law's friends. And oh, yeah, God, we're it's 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 old people. And there's, I don't know, there's a few maybe early mid 40s, but it's mainly people older than us. That's pretty funny. Are, are you guys good or you guys suck? A bit of both depends. Like our team captain Dean is usually pretty fucking great, but once he's had a few beers, it can it can go one or two ways. <laughs> <laughs> it can go either really really well or very very badly. But it's just a bit of fun, right? It's just you go out and, and play, and I don't know. It's good. It's good fun, and it's five uh, pin yeah. though because I didn't. I grew up playing. I didn't. You know, you don't have five pin. I don't think anywhere else in the world actually. I think five pins only Canadian or maybe some of the states, but certainly there's oh. no five pin bowling in in UK when I was when I was growing up. So, oh, no idea. I thought it was. Uh... Thought that was universal. Nope. And it's a lot harder. Five pin is harder than ten. I think it is, yeah. I suppose, hey. Yeah, the ball's uh, I mean, small. I played, so a bit, I played it, both. So yeah, it's a bit more unforgiving. I suppose you do get three goals. That's one thing. You don't get a strike if you get you don't you don't get a spare, sorry, if you get them down in all three. But it's it, it's just right. I don't know, it's technically it's a little bit different, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so that was my evening. How about you? What have you been doing tonight? Well, I just did a little bit of a rehearsal for a gig I have coming out this Friday. I'm going to play with the, the wonderful Jay Semko of the Northern Pikes. And uh, as I had told you just before we started, we were supposed to play outdoors in Saskatchewan in February <laughs> 24. Uh, but it is unseasonably cold. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's it's forecasted for 25 below next Friday. So there's just no way we're going to be able to play outside. <laughs> Despite my hardy Canadian can-do attitude, I think we're going to have to move indoors. So, yeah. Yes, that's what I did. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with having a can-do attitude as well, you know. Mm -hmm. It saves mm -hmm. frostbite. A can't-do attitude really, really helps with uh, not getting frostbite. Well, I just couldn't even imagine attempting to keep a guitar in tune at that temperature, let or, alone actually playing or play. It. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And we should we should mention for our listeners that that would be um, Canadian national treasure Jasemko, who's, who's who we're talking about there. Yes, that's right. A heck of a songwriter, and over the years has become a really great friend of mine. So, and you guys work on um, I've done quite a bit of work on soundtracks, TV stuff, TV shows, yeah. movies, those kind of things. Film, right? so, film, television, uh, yeah. lots of corporate stuff. Uh, yes, uh, if you're ever looking for some cool, interesting new music, check out Jasemko and or the Northern Pikes. Okay, well, that's enough promoting other people, Randy. Yeah, we should. Sorry um, about that. <laughs> we should promote especially ourselves, especially the especially the J Semco albums that I produce. Those are particularly good. Well, I will. Randy's <laughs> Randy, Randy's been very very modest there. I will say that they are very very good. So, oh well, thanks, Kev. 
So we got we got quite a bit of feedback again on social media, Andy. There's lots of people talking to us, so that's that's always really nice. Like, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy, and that like people are actually listening, or at least they're reading the tweets. I don't know if they're actually listening to the episodes, but that, whatever. I'll take I'll take reading the tweets. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Exactly. Anybody that takes the time. All right. So our first Twitter uh, first tweet we got is a uh, you know it's our friend Ben from Netherlands. See what I did hey, there, ben. Andy. See what I did there. I got out of saying the last name that I've. I basically remember how to say it, but I still don't think I'm getting it quite right with the pronunciation. I, so yeah, well, we just yeah, you, you can you can try it. I'm not going to try it. <laughs> uh, it says, gentlemen, is it not possible to change the second option because "Bites the Dust" doesn't actually cover the load? It's credited as Queen's best-selling single. So I think the point he's making there is we're using a really good song to be the negative option. Yeah. And I said, you know, I said no, we're, you know. The format's locked down now. We're, we're locked in. We're not adding a third option. We're not changing the options. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, hey, Alice's dad at Barry John Willie 3, solid champion. Not the best song on the album, but it's still a great song and one of Brian's best. Although a certain song on a night at the opera beats it. And Wh- uh, Which song do you think he's referring to, Randy? Yeah, well, I mean, I have a guess. I have a guess. <laughs> I have a guess. <laughs> And he also goes on to say, uh, it is difficult to mark any as Bite the Dust, but then again, we haven't had any I despise yet. I won't name them as I don't want to spoil Mr. Randy's enjoyment, in quotes, of them. (laughs) Paul uh, Bradbury says, definitely a champion. I see this song as a companion to, uh, what is that, 39? 39, yeah. Yeah, 39 from A Night at the Opera. It's Vintage May, indeed. And I went and listened to, I mean, obviously I know 39, Again, just as well as I know along the way, and I can see what he means sonically. There are definitely sort of there's a similarity there. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're companion pieces, but they're definitely sort of of, of a of an ilk. They're of a, of a sort of the, the, born from the same family. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Rob Hatton says hard to name anything from the first six albums as dustworthy, uh, and this one is definitely a champion from me. Yeah. PJ at New Mercury says champion. It's catchy and sticky. Stays with you for days after hearing it. If reading the name of the song gets it in your head, you know it's a top-tier tune. Good point. That's right. Uh, Darren Helliwell says, Champion, always love this song. Nice vocal from Brian. And I think that's one of the things that most people go back to, a lot of people go back to, is that it does have one of Brian's better vocal performances on it. And we were talking about this um, the other night when we were drinking too much beer. Talking about I don't love his voice usually when he's in those sort of when he's in those upper ranges and and I, I feel that his voice gets a little bit thin, but with these types of songs, I, I think it just works perfectly. Yeah. No, I think he does a wonderful job. Edushkaya. I'm not even trying the last name. Wonderful song. The acapella version is great. And I was unaware that there was an acapella version. And I didn't listen to it. And then uh, Owen Ling says, My, uh, Races might be the best work. Stunning song. Now that's, again, that's somewhat divisive. I think among some Queen fans, because we've got um, Queen Rocks then says, because I'd mentioned that I like the production on this song, um, and Queen Rocks says, this one is a dust for me. I can appreciate the song, and the birds-like guitar sound is cool, but melodically and dynamically, there just isn't much there, which I think is a, again, that's a fair comment. Um, and then he says, Kev, I must dis- must respectfully disagree. The production on A Day at the Races doesn't work for me. It sounds kind of dead. The production on the albums before, A Night at the Opera, and after News of the World is far superior to my ears. Now, they're very different. Those two albums all sound different, especially Date the Races does break up the sound. Um, so I know what he's saying, but I like the production on A Date the Races just because it is different. And we talked about this a little bit, I think, on the episode where it's got a bit more pop sensibility to that record, where it's not quite as hard rock. There are a couple of hard rock songs on there, but it's not really a hard rock record. So 
it, again, it's just I think that's a preference. We've talked about production lots, you know, when we sit yeah. visiting and things, and there, there's there's just different production styles, and you like some of them and you don't like others, and some are, some are objectively crap, but I, I wouldn't say this is one of them. So no, uh, here's a quick thing. So uh, Queen Rocks, they're a tribute, right? A tribute. Yes. Act? That's uh, that would be an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, a take from those guys because, you know, we're we're just we're we're saying we're saying fifty fifty good or bad, but I can just imagine I've played in a few tributes in my life that if you're picking songs to play in your night, you know, yeah. would you pick would you pick this one? And I would say if I was doing a Queen tribute, I probably wouldn't have picked that song. No, no, but, for you know, sure. But but I mean, I'm just saying it's just it's just another interesting kind of way to look at it, right? Absolutely. And we are, we should, we should let people know that um, we've been having a conversation with Jason from Queen Rocks and we are going to get him on the podcast. I'm not too sure when yet, but he's mm -hmm. going to be either our next guest or our guest after that, I think. So I'm looking forward to that because it'll be great to talk to someone from the other side of the world about, uh, about this band. So, well, and like I said, that's, this would be, uh, that's the kind of question I would want to, I would ask him too. Well, Hey, how did you guys, you know, how did you guys, yeah. they, you know, they'll have obviously have to do the hits, but then, you know, they probably want to dig deep in some areas too. So, you know, where do you go with that? Right. Absolutely. And I would see here's a blag pie. Another deep cut classic. Lovely dynamics and instrumentation. Brian continuing his space hippie theme. Yeah, there you go. So that that's the 39 reference, the, the space hippie thing. That's because when we get to 39, it's 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 an interesting subject matter. It's not necessarily what you think it's about on first sort right. of listen. Copy that. Uh, Curtis Sparkles, Jim C, definite champion. May's voice is much better suited to these dreamy, strummy kinds of songs. And I, like I said, I completely agree with that on every level. Stephen Ursel, not the best song on the album. And there are a few Brian lead vocal queen songs I like even more, but is nonetheless a superb song and a definite champion. No one does melodic melancholy quite like Brian. Yeah, good point. And then Dieter, our buddy um, from Mike, Mike Million Days, says, Champion, with the exception of the vocal sound, should be more prominent in the mix. I think one of us had actually said that in the episode. Uh, he says, there's nothing I don't like about this song, one of Brian's best. Alex Small, despite no Freddie on this track, the band Shine. Brian nailed his vocals on this, and great to hear Roger's drums loud. Underrated track, a champion. And yeah, we had mentioned too, Roger's, uh, Roger's uh, vocals in the choruses too were, were good. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah, and Simone de Beauvoir, uh, which isn't a real name, but we're gonna leave it. We're gonna leave it there. We're gonna leave the pseudonym as it in place. It says yes. Brian and Roger often say their songs sound better when Freddie sings them. Usually true, but sometimes not. Sad, plaintive, and poetic lyrics like these, and those in a few other Queen songs like Leaving Home and Thirty Nine, are where Brian's voice makes sense. So yeah, we're sort of reiterating the same thing. Everyone's kind of saying where, and it's funny, right? But, that's kind of the, you know, when, when we talk about Queen, if we're talking about Brian, we're definitely talking about his guitar mostly. And it's Freddie yeah. who we sort of laud for his vocal talents. And I, again, I'm pretty sure we commented in the episode that I don't know how this would have sounded if Freddie had sung it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it'd be difficult to say whether it would have been, obviously it's not going to be worse because Freddie freaking Mercury, but although I've said that, if you never heard this version, you'd love Freddie's version, wouldn't you? So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows, Randy? It's hard to say, Kev. So I couldn't post a poll on Facebook this week, Randy, because I the, the service that I used to post a poll on Facebook last week, it only allows you to do one question. So I'm going to figure out another way of doing this. Um, so I don't know exactly what it'll be. And I think that, you know, when on Facebook, you've got the the reaction options. So I think I might go with either the love or the tear. I think I might go to that. I might go that. That might be our vote. And we'll see how that goes. I might do it that way. So yeah, that, that might work. You know, uh, 
some software developer out there needs to come up with a polling system that will work across platforms. It ain't going to be me, brother. Well, I'm too busy podcasting. <laughs> yeah, you got too busy podcasting 24 <laughs> seven. Uh, but on Facebook, Lisa Malloy, our friend Lisa Malloy says, because uh, I'd commented that, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd both had a couple of beers before we started last week's episode. And I definitely noticed that I was a lot swearier. I was dropping a lot more F-bombs than usual. Um, I sounded yeah. more like myself, may I say, probably. <laughs> um, but she, Lisa said they were nowhere near emulating the laptops, guys, which, you know, that's absolutely true. So there's a little bit of a conversation then between myself and Lisa about that. But Nice. Doug Curran says, bites the dust. I don't dislike Long Away, but it's not in my top 50% of Queen songs. So that goes again to how people are deciding whether to upvote or downvote these songs. Is is it past that, that median line? So Good. Love to hear it there, uh, Doug. So, yeah, Nick Croft says, love 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 now that's three loves this track uh it's always a fave of mine and i would go to that one track at time and play it over and over something about it has always made it special good lyrics and delivery by brian i especially love the line come let the new child play how it's sung can't get enough of this one so yeah he's just obviously yeah. you know he digs it right and uh, oh he also says cheers for more beers on a hot 38 degree melting. <laughs> okay you know what nick Man, you know, I was I was with you there, but now thirty-eight. Okay, all right. That's a, that's an almost sixty-degree temperature oh, swing. Um, but he also oh. but he also mentioned that we should do the pod drunk more often. Oh. <laughs> and I do have beer tonight. I'm back on the horse after a very rough. Randy and I got very 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 drunk on Sunday, um, and Monday wasn't a lot of fun. So. Um, John Polly Bryce is champion for me too. Like Kev, in my opinion, there's nothing on uh, Date the Races that bites the dust. Um, and he gives a comment. So we'd ask for comments on, on the monthly wrap-up. He says, could we review the best live recordings of 10 songs reviewed, reviewed in the season? Admittedly, some like Droz will be impossible to find, but where there is a good sounding recording, it's interesting to find how much better or worse they are live. That's a really good idea. That is a good idea. I like we that, might have yeah. to. We really might have to sort of cogitate on that a little bit. And like that word, there's a $50 word there for a... Tuesday evening. Wow, that's pretty great. Oh, and uh, you should mention John too. He's from Abu Dhabi, and I would say it's probably a significantly warmer there. As yes. well. <laughs> ah, Rude Seegers, nice episode again. First piece of the song, my thought was maybe this one will bite the dust. Then come in the choruses, the red two, uh, the nice refrain, and I'm sold again. This is one of those songs where you think you might not like it, and at the end of it, it's one of the best you ever heard. Absolute champion. Nice. All right. So, well, that's that's our social medias for the week, Randy. Again, with lovely feedback from people, I just again can't say thank you enough to all the people who jump online, you know, every week, and especially the people who come and talk to us regularly. Um, we really appreciate. It. it feels like we're part of a little family out there. Yes, thanks, guys. So for tonight's spin, Randy, is there anything that you are thinking that you would like to hear? Is there anything, an era, a specific song, a singer, a songwriter? Is there anything you're thinking? No. Well, here's what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna say. I want another Brian lead singing song. Oh. I'd like to have one back to back and then I can, you know, I can compare it. It's because it seems like he maybe takes a bit of heat for some of his, his vocal. Uh, but I, you know, I thought he did a quite nice job on, on uh, long away. So you. Ah, that's yeah. I mean, I think that I'd like um, something with a John Deacon lead vocal, mm. which means that, that we exist? won't get one because there aren't any. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd like something from, I want a rocker. Like, I want just an all out, balls out rock and roll song. That's what I want to listen to tonight. Jam out with your clam out. So, <laughs> I beg your pardon. 
<laughs> That's outrageous, young man. <laughs> All right, so let's spin this wheel, Randy, and, uh, and see what, what it gives us. Yep. Spin her up. Okay, we're slowing down, and we're going to be getting something. Oh, we could be getting a rocket. Oh, now then. It's... Oh, okay. Well, we're not getting... Well, yeah, it's not a rocker at all, um, but it is from a pretty rocking album. Yeah. What are we getting, Randy? In the Lap of the Gods from Sheer Heart Attack. So I will ask you, as I always do, just on the name, on the title of the song, do you think you know it? Uh, off the title alone, I don't, uh, I don't recognize it. And there are two songs basically called In the Lap of the Gods um, on that album. There's In the Lap of the Gods and In the Lap of the Gods Revisited. So they're two sort of, and they're not, they're not, they're really not companion pieces. They're not lyrically or in terms of motif or anything, but so let's, um, let, let's, should we go away to the, to the internet and find out information about the song so we can sound moderately intelligent? Uh, it won't work, but let's do it anyhow. Okay, perfect. This is the point in the podcast where Randy and Kevin open various browser tabs and frantically Google various facts and miscellany in order to sound knowledgeable and well-researched. In the interest of time, this has been condensed into a short, but we think pithy, announcement. Goodbye. Yeah, so our first song from Sheer Heart Attack, um, which I'm glad about, because again, it's another album that Growing up, it's it's just a badass record. Like it's so, you know, if you look at the track listing on it, it opens with Brighton Rock, which is another Brian May tour de force, Killer Queen. You've got Now I'm Here on there, and then you've got a bunch of Tenement Funsters on there. There's a bunch of sort of very different tracks like Lily of Lily of the Valley, um, Bring Back That Leroy Brown, Dear Friends, and then you got things like Flick of the Wrist, and then you got In the Lap of the Gods, and then In the Lap of the Gods Revisited. So the version we're listening to tonight is the the lead track from side two, which although it shares a name um, and some of the lyrics with in the lap of the gods revisited, it doesn't really have anything to do with it sonically or thematically. So nice. Uh, written by Freddie Mercury, uh, three minutes, 22 seconds. All of our favorite players on it as usual recorded at Rockfield studios in Wales, Wessex studios in London and Trident studios in London, uh, mostly in 74 by the looks of things. With uh, Roy Thomas Baker producing Mike Stone on uh, engineering, and yeah, so and it actually makes uh, the it, it, the uh, title itself is uh, a reference from Homer's Iliad, which uh, yeah, very smarter literary. people than me, I'm sure, were, were well aware. <laughs> of. Well, it's just that literary thing that you know, right? A lot of a lot of sort of proggy type yeah. bands dipped into those. I mean, Rush did it lots, Zeppelin did it, where you know they'd go into those little those sort of Genesis did it, all those things. So they, you know, the Iliad and it's um, Automedon, which is Achilles, Achilles' charioteer in the Trojan War, says that the battle's outcome is in the lap of the gods. So it's in the hands of fate, right? As is the right. as is the reference. So, yeah, okay. And you know, despite this literary sort of reference in the title, it really is just a love song. So it's not. I mean, when we get into it, you, you read the lyrics. It's, it, it's just a. It's a love song, and it's saying that you know, again, love is sort of in the hands of fate, and there's not a whole bunch you can do when when love strikes. So, so we yeah, uh, should fire it up a little bit, Randy, and let you have a listen to it. Um, you know, Kev, I think maybe we should put that sucker on. All right. Well, let's listen to "In the Lap of the Gods." <laughs> Whoa! 
So there's that full queen operatic. Yeah. <laughs> look at us, listen to us. You know, it, there's no getting away from that. Just is queen. No one sounds like that. <laughs> no, nobody. And you and straight away those. Ah, that's Roger just grabbing his balls and going for it behind the mic. You know? Yeah, that opening note. Hey, holy Dinah! I'd like to. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what that was. You'd have to take a run up to that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the piano on this too. I've always loved. Again, it's kind of like. Um, Death on Two Legs, you know, some, some of those songs that Freddie wrote that it's got some of those big minor keys chords in there. And the piano's quite jangly and quite sort of dramatic. It's got, again, yeah. it's got that very sort of stage theatrical tension building thing to to the to the mood that the, the piano adds to it. So nice. So we were reading in um, Queen all the songs that Roy Thomas Baker pitched Freddie's vocal, and I think that that's the the, the effect that you're getting on that vocal, right? Because it does sound a bit soupy, yeah. and it doesn't sound natural. No. So how would they have done that back in the early 70s, Randy? Because this would have been, what, 74, she heart attack? Uh, well, uh, unless there's something I'm un unaware of, I would say they probably just would slow the tape down. So he'd have to he'd have to sing it faster to get it into the no no just no well okay so I guess uh, probably what they did was they would speed the tape up uh, double double speed so that when they speed play it in half speed then he'd be in tune okay uh, I'm I'm speculating but uh, it, would, it would have to be some trick like that uh, because we you know we couldn't do it like you know digitally yeah like can yeah because it gives it a sort of almost it's quite a dark like a demonic kind of quality to the vocal right it's, it doesn't sound it's not pleasant in, no. in a way like it's very disconcerting the, the way it sounds you know to the ear yeah it's it's weird i was gonna say in queen uh all the songs too they also note that uh prince used the same uh, thing on uh, rainbow children in 2001 quite a bit later uh and that's actually a fantastic album by the way uh but it's kind of cool to hear that, you know, Queen sort of pioneering something like this. It's pretty neat. Well, and they they did lots of they did lots of pioneering that you, that you kind of either they didn't really get credit for or people forgotten about or you know there's there's lots of little things that they did. And I'm sure you know as we talked about, they weren't always necessarily the first people to do it, but yeah. they were always on the sort of right on the cutting edge of doing it really well and using it sparingly until the early eighties, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll get into that. <laughs> So yeah, very slow, you know, piano-based ballad. There's not much else going on there apart from the piano and Freddie's vocals and a little bit of, you know, the other instrumentation, but it's quite plaintive and quite, you know. And quite undeniably Queen, even even with that weird vocal. Yeah. Do you think, I wonder if, 
now that as I was listening to it again, though, I was wondering if they've used that shifting, that pitch shift. But I wonder if Freddie dubbed a, a natural vocal over top of it in the right key as well, because it does sound um, like it doesn't sound a hundred percent processed to my ear. I don't know if I'm just not hearing it very well. But what, uh, what do yeah. you think? Uh, it you know I'd have to hear it again. I'd have to yeah. hear more. I, I can't I can't comment on that. I can only kind of hear the weird uh, pitch shifted. Yeah, uh, vocal. Okay, so now we're going to get into. So Roger's going to come in with some big ass drums, as, as Roger does. As Roger does I heard, so well. I, I heard a thundering <laughs> tom as you stopped it. So yes, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'll I'll, I'll dial it back a couple seconds, and we'll just get some more of those delicious toms. Yes, please. <laughs> Almost a bit of distortion on that vocal there too, hey? Like it's really dirty. It is, yeah. And and that's they they, they might have they might have added added distortion to it too. You never know. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a not an uncommon uh, producing trick. I love those little Brian licks in the background too, hey? Just those high sustained notes. Yes, definitely. Super trebly. You know what that bit's always reminded me of? Roger's harmonies. Uh, yeah. Do you know which album I'm thinking of? Is there is a very specific vocal on a very specific album that really reminds me of that That's that um, note progression? No, no, no. I don't know what you're thinking of specifically, but I, I was just marveling at how incredibly high that was. <laughs> uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It's in... Oh God, what freaking song is it in now? I have a little tidbit here. Go ahead, yeah. I was going to talk, I was going to mention more about the the pitch-shifted vocals. And for anybody who's who's into Ween, uh, Ocean Man's using a very, very similar technique, I'm sure, although I'm sure recorded in the air where they could just pitch shift. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it gives us same, that same effect of that weird lower, it sounds a little bit unnatural, right? Yeah, and that, and that's yeah. a super cool song too. Just by the way, I'll put maybe put that oh. in the episode notes because that's just a terrific song. Ocean Man, fucking brilliant. Yes. Alrighty, we'll, we'll listen to a little bit more. Um, and I will say that it's not you're not going to get too many big turns in this song from here on out, Randy. So just more of the same, hey. <laughs> It's almost like he's it's almost like dueling solos between Brian and Roger, eh? Yeah, like, yes. And yeah, Roger's matching those high notes on his guitar every yeah. step of the way. I could just uh well, so here's a question. Uh did they ever play this live that you're aware of? You know, hammering on the drums and and hitting those high notes. I mean yeah. that would be something to see. Be kind of like watching Getty Lee sing and 
play his bass at the same time. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? They played it live. Um, a total of according to according to setlist.fm. Yeah. Um, a total of seventy-three times between nineteen seventy-four and seventy-five. So it would have been. Oh, it was in their uh, list, obviously. A staple for that sort of, yep. you know, the Sheer Attack era and then the probably Date the Races yep. tour as well would have been 75. So, yeah. Well, that'll be something uh, uh, as brought up by who I don't remember anymore, but uh, a wrap up episode, go back and listen to this live and would be absolutely. Would be fun. Yep. We were talking the other day too about snares, okay? Mm-hmm. That's snare sound again. It sounds totally different to date the races. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds older. It, it sounds like those old kind of you know your Sabbath, and it's, it's got like that era of uh, of rock drum sound. Yeah, yeah. It it's of its era for sure. And not much going on with Rog and John. Just keeping the keeping the bottom end going and not you know pushing too much or anything. Well, it's it's interesting when you said. A minute back, you said it doesn't change much. It's almost like it's just gone to outro, and so it's just like a super long outro. Yeah, hey Kevin, and as mentioned in Queen, all the songs, and that's that's a really good point. Uh, it says a lot of fans felt like the song was unfinished, and there certainly is no ending, and it and it does sound it does sound unfinished. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, I mean that really is. I mean, it's from I don't know, maybe even almost the halfway because so there's only one verse, and yeah. then the chorus is kind of the outro, but the way it shifts then and it changes into that minor key again, which is kind of nice because that's that throwback to the to the intro. And then you end with those big, heavy drums from Roger because the song it leads into is, you know, we talk about Queen being inventive. Well, a lot of people think that they might have invented sort of thrash slash speed metal because the song it leads into is Stone Cold Crazy. Ah. So when you know that, it's like, okay, well, that, you know, we'll again, once we've covered both those songs, if you listen to that transition in, it makes perfect sense. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say unfinished. I think what probably is the case is there's, there's seven songs on side two of this album. Um, and a lot of the songs are short. So I think it's more that kind of almost like that melody approach that, you know, Queen 2 has that sort of flow through on side two. And side two is sheer heart attacks. It's always kind of made me think in the same way that it's let's let's pack as much as we can in. Let's be really dense about it. And they don't have to be complete three and a half minute songs with two verses, two choruses, a bridge and a, a solo, everything else. It's just all these ideas and keep, keep, keep everything moving. I guess further to what you're saying, I guess maybe they're thinking of this as, 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 as a complete album and, and not as a single, right. Where we're, we're thinking of, Hey, you know, we, you know, we want you to say one, two, three, and, you know, meet you at the end with a nice, a nice fancy uh, ending. But, you know, if you're thinking in terms of you're writing an, uh, uh, a B side album, not everything has to, to be finished just perfectly. Having said that, still sounds unfinished to me. <laughs> well, well, but it's one of those things that you know. There's nothing wrong with an album. An album track. I like an album track. Nothing wrong with an album mm-hmm. track. You know, like you need you need them. It's really hard to write. You know, an album that's got 
10 just fucking stone cold hits on it. Um, so having a, having some stuff in there that just sort of glues everything together, if it's done well and if it flows and it works, then I'm all right with it. Well, so are you trying to say that you're giving Queen the approval for this song? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm saying nothing of the kind. We haven't voted yet. I'm not sure <laughs> my hand. You can't trick me into it that easily, sir. It's <laughs> fucking Jedi mind trick here. What's this bullshit? <laughs> Uh, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> uh, That's my shitty Alec Guinness impression, just in case you're wondering. Oh, oh, not your Guinness impression talking like Alec. Did you know, just on a, on a tangent here, mm-hmm. Alec, Guin- Alec Guinness actually sort of prophesied um, the death of James Dean. I guess there's an anecdote about, so James Dean was working with, Guinness always was in the theater over and said, Hey, come, come check out my new car, the car that he, you know, crashed and died in. And I guess Alec Guinness said to him, young man, if you drive that car, you will be dead within a week. And sure as like, sure enough, a week later he was dead. Now, whether that's Alec Guinness, who was famously quite a drinker, just sort of being a little bit fluffy in his, in his recall, I don't know, but it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of, I think it's a cool story. <laughs> uh, if it's true, it's a good story. And Absolutely. you know what? If it's a lie, it's still a pretty good story. So. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what, Randy? Let's before we sort of dig into our any sort of final thoughts or deeper deeper thoughts about this one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the question. So, you feel it's unfinished? Um, does that mean it's going to bite the dust, or do you think there's still enough there? You know, with the sort of the massive har- uh, harmonies in the intro and Rogers doodling throughout, um, is it is it a champion, or is it going to bite the dust? Some of these are getting some of these are getting tougher, and 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 I and I feel like I don't want to necessarily always be just a softy. And and I and I should and I should toughen up, but for me, for this one, it's gonna be What about you, Kev? What are your feelings? Yeah, I mean I don't I don't hate this song and, and I I made the argument for it's sort of open side to you know, side two of the album. And then in the lap of the gods revisited closest side two. But for me, and you know, once we get to that song, the revisited version is just so much bigger and better and more interesting that even though even though I've made that argument, and I don't know whether it was particularly unfinished, it still it could have had a bit more. That outro takes, yeah. I mean, I think it's I bet you it's even two minutes, maybe. There's certainly over a minute and a half of just lap of the gods, which is fine. But yep. I don't know. To me, it's just a bit. It's always been a bit of an underwhelming Queen song for me. I'm probably going to get heat for this one, but I'm going to consign it. Then we, we we've disagreed for the first time where I've gone negative and you've gone positive, and I knew it would happen at some point. I just didn't think it was necessarily be on sheer heart attack. So here's my here's my take on it, and this is why yep. I I voted it up. And I would say, I would say for me, when you're listening to Queen and you're you're looking for that quintessential Queen, this delivers it all. You got Roger doing some stuff that. I mean, I've never heard him do before. <laughs> and I, I, to me, I think that intro and all that stuff was all pretty, pretty cool and 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 cool enough to warrant a pass. Uh, you got Brian doing his his signature licks, you know. Uh, like I said, it's it's quintessential Queen, uh, and it's it's the sounds that I get from this are 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 sounds that are are unique to Queen, and it's the reason why I like Queen. And so that's why I have to have to give it a, a, a thumbs up. Now, there again, if I was playing in uh, uh, the Queen Rocks tribute, you know, would I would that add this to my set list? I'm not sure. I'm still waiting. I've been promised some stinkers. 
I've been promised some <laughs> shitty clean songs and, and I haven't really felt like I've really, you know, gotten a, a, a straight up stinker yet. I've gotten, yeah. I've gotten some stuff that I'm, you know, I'm a little on the fence on and this is by no means my favorite queen song, but uh, yeah, that's my take. Well, I think that's the problem though with queen in a way is even on the bad songs or, you know, the song, I shouldn't say bad songs, but in the songs with the, maybe the ones that I don't like, or the ones that I feel are, either produced badly or there's this or, or I don't love the lyrics or whatever. there's all there is always something in a queen song to enjoy always whether it's a killer bass line or you've always got that goddamn Freddie Mercury with his just insanely brilliant vocals all the time or Roger or, or John so the, or Brian's guitar so there's always something to listen to but again I think that there's lots of queen stuff especially from this era from the first sort of three four albums where it's just unapologetically over the top we are queen fucking deal with it i just think there's a lot that does it better than this song and for me it's like i said it just doesn't quite get anywhere other than yeah. being it's almost like it's just an intro to stone cold crazy really yeah you know and it's yeah. it's almost like two different songs even sort of glommed together you know so i don't know even as again even as a kid i can remember this is the one off this album that i was a bit indifferent towards you know where stuff like you know misfire which i don't know is a i wouldn't say is a, a brilliant brilliant song off this album or um Lily of the Valley, which is just a, a sort of a different type of thing. Um, I always preferred them to this one just because this felt like almost sort of Queen Paint My Numbers, if that makes any sense, other than Roger's vocal. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say those are all uh I would say those are all fair criticisms. I would say they all are. And uh yeah, it, it's a fair point. But I guess you hear you hear the you hear these vocals and it it does, it makes you think of 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 a lot of these other tunes, Killer Queen, all the, that backing yeah. vocals. It it's definitely uh, of its it's definitely off this album. Let's put it that way. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's definitely on an album. That's what we can say about this song. It's definitely on an album. <laughs> if there's one thing I can say about the song, it's really on an album. You know? <laughs> like I mean, really, they really put that sucker on this uh, album. You know what Good I wonder actually? Something I'm curious about, and I should see if I can dig in, or should I, we should ask our fans actually? Anyone listening, if you know. I wonder which of the two songs was written first in the lap of the gods or in the lap of gods revisited, because if you've got in the lap of the gods revisited and we know that that's okay, well, that's going to be this, that's the album closer. When we get to it, you'll see why, like it's just totally an album closer. Maybe then if Freddie's got this other idea and he's, he's kind of singing around and he's doodling around as the, the book suggested in the studio, maybe at that point it's like, okay, well actually we can open side two with that, even though it's not, you know, a, a, a banger because we've got this other song sitting to close it so i wonder if that played into the sort of the you know the the sequence in discussion and decision making so yeah yeah could be either way i found it interesting it's queen it's always interesting i mean that's the thing the thing you will very 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 rarely say in this catalog is that ah, that's fucking boring <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh just looking at the track listing too i mean i know quite a few songs off off yeah. this album but uh but I guess I just never dug into it. So, yeah. Cool. You know, we talk, um, this, this is something I think that when we're further down the road, when we're sort of 60, 70, 80 episodes in or something, and one of our bonus sort of one-off episodes will be, what's the single best side of a Queen album? And I'd sort of thrown that out on Twitter a, a little while ago, just as a sort of a an off-the-cuff thing. And there's a lot of different sides that, and side two of, it's hard to argue against side two of Queen 2. Side black yeah. Yeah. for me. But side one of this album 
Jesus Christ, Brighton Rock into Killer Queen, into Tenement Fonts, into Flick of the Wrist. Lily of the Valley is a slight palate cleanser before it blows your eardrums out with Naomi. Like that's a that's a pretty tremendous side of an album. Yeah. Not too bad. I would like the royalties. I'd like a quarter of the royalties off of any <laughs> one of those songs. You know what? I don't think that Messrs. May and Taylor mm-hmm. and Deacon mm-hmm. are going to give you one one red cent of any of those royalties, my friend. Well, no, I wasn't expecting it. I'm just saying I would enjoy it. The fi- you know, financial, we'll maybe get into that sometime. Security. <laughs> it's something that Queen have, have been sort of criticised since Freddie passed away. The the way that the estate's been handled and the legacy and the way they sort of the constant rollout of marketing and this kind of stuff. And I come down either side of the fence on that, depending on what mood you catch me and what day. There is definitely that sort of cashing in thing. It's a bit unpalatable, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day as well, I mean, Freddie's not around anymore, but it's still their band. I mean, they were all in the band. They all put the hours in. So they're kind of entitled to make money off this however they want to. I just don't think necessarily that a charm bracelet and charms for 500 fucking pounds is necessarily, you know, one of the ways to do it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I w- Yeah, we have actually talked about this before I, I'll, I'll never begrudge any musician going out and yeah. making making his living playing his his music or her music uh you know do these guys need it yeah obviously they don't but you know go hard brian okay well that was yeah i'm glad that's kind of nice that we got one off she heart attack because my original thinking was i said a, a rocker before we started recording i was thinking about what i wanted to listen to and i was, I was actually going to say originally was something off queen mm-hmm. one because we haven't had anything from the debut yet. And the debut is very different yeah. to, again, a very different than anything else in the catalogue because they were still, you know, so raw at that point. And it's the first time they've gone into the studio to really, to record a full album. They've all, you know, they've recorded bits and pieces with Smile and with Larry Lurex and a few of those other little side projects, but they haven't gone in as a band to record an album. And of course, it's all done in off hours, you know, after midnight, between midnight and six. And it's sort of this rushed, let's get through and get it all done as quickly as we can sort of thing. So it's got a charm to it. So I was kind of looking forward to something like that, but She Heart Attack still in that same because they did three albums in two years, you know, or in you know, Queen One was seventy three, or was released in seventy three, I should say, and then uh, Queen Two and She Heart Attack were released in seventy four. Yeah, so they were pretty prolific at that point. And again, I think that's part of some that's some of it too is that when you're writing so much in those early years as a band and everything's exciting, everything's shiny, everything's new, it sometimes can be maybe a little bit hard to leave something off an album. So maybe again, that's maybe that's another thing that sort of and maybe they were just let's find they're just so goddamn busy they didn't have time to come up with an ending for in the lap of the gods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that, that's you know that's um that's in the lap of the gods, folks. You know, and we we will leave it in the lap of the gods, uh, Randy, and we'll leave the last word as we always do to one Freddie Mercury. Thanks for tuning in. Wasn't that fun? We sure talked the hell out of that one. Kev had some great points, really only to be outweighed by my far more excellent points. We'd like to know what points that you have about Queen. You can find us on Facebook at Seaside Pod Review and on Twitter at Queen Seaside. If you get some time, go check out the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Lots of cool stuff. We'll be back with you next week to blab on needlessly about this wonderful band. I'm not giving you a kiss. I'm just a musical prostitute, my dear.